Sweet Stash is a home-baked business specializing in cake pops, brownies, cakes, and more. Celebrate your special occasions with all of your favorite people. If we're at a party and they have Sweet Stash, I know where Mario will be. Buy the cake pop stand. To place your orders, check them out on Facebook or Instagram. Are you all ready to up your drinking game? Absinthe Minded AZ is a pretty freaking amazing and super rare company. Absinthe is truly an acquired taste type of drink. People like Picasso, Hemingway, and Van Gogh were known to throw back a few. I mean, The Raven may have never been written if Edgar Allan Poe wasn't drinking this stuff. Who, by the way, was an artilleryman in the United States Army. Go Redlegs! This misunderstood spirit became legal again in the United States in 2007. And now you can try it for yourself here in AZ. Plus, co-owners Doc Ordovich and Justin Slusher are pretty cool dudes. Absence Minded is produced with 100% natural herbs based off of traditional formulations with variations to accommodate the palates of the modern drinker. Pour, sip, and enjoy. So if you want to find out more about this amazing company, go to their Facebook page or AbsenthemindedAZ.com. And their Instagram page is pretty dope. Fallen! All right, all right, everybody take a seat, grab a drink, let's get this show started. Go ahead, start are the you, show. Are you? Boom, are we really starting? Boom, 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 boom. I just yep. thought you were being silly. Okay. Oh, I can beatbox too. No. No. Everything boom 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 just kidding. It's all right. I just want to be you can a join in. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> that's not. Okay. Anyways, uh, that was just me doing a little, little flirty intro. Oh. <laughs> just flirting. I feel like I was flirting with the audience. Oh, yeah, maybe. Tempting them a little bit. It seemed a little like... Um, we need an intro, a better intro. Yeah. I think the other one's old, no? Yeah. Is it? it no. Is? That was a trick oh, question. Oh, sorry. You think the no. other one's old? No. It's uh, awesome. I no, like but it. I, I don't know why I feel like a nice little soft intro like that. Old school. Well, it's the Fallen 360 show. See, that was good. We should make a 1920s edition. <laughs> That's <laughs> listen, funny. Listen, listen. We can't get sidetracked like we did last week. No. Well. We didn't get sidetracked. We just went a little further than we, we thought we were going to go. Yeah. We only expected to talk for about 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. And then play you a, a recording <laughs> uh, of um, Colonel Big Bird Schmidt, who uh, I actually interviewed last year for um, for 9-11, specific, not specifically for that, but he had a story to share uh, about his 9-11. And so... Since last show was dedicated to 9-11 and kind of what we were doing on that day and kind of led into how we joined the military, mm-hmm. uh, probably because of what for you, for sure, directly linked to 9-11. Yeah. For me, it just kind of it pushed me, I think, a little further to get into the military. So either way, we kind of went off a little bit, talked about our sales a little. We were in our feelings. So yes, okay. we were. Don't judge us. I'm going to get in my feelings again. But that's okay because um, today Colonel Schmidt fits right in because mm-hmm. although he will always deny this, mm-hmm. and I bet you everybody that we're going to talk about today mm-hmm. would also deny this. Um, real heroes don't go around telling people they're heroes. They just are, right? They do heroic actions. Um, and I don't care if it's from stopping uh, a hijacker uh single-handedly with a group being part of a group coming mm-hmm. up with a plan you helped somebody else by you know like colonel schmidt getting out of the the mm-hmm. pentagon when it was hit which you'll hear his story later today that's amazing uh and 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 being either directly or indirectly involved with getting people motivated to leave the building and you, you know either way you're a hero 
right? Yeah. Just even surviving those type of situations and then continuing to fight. Uh, another one, uh, you know, we're going to talk about is uh, uh, Camp Buka. Camp Buka and who it was named after. Mm-hmm. I guess specifically like we're not going to talk about... the restaurant? No, not Buka de Beppo. It wasn't? <laughs> no. We all know you can't spell that anyways, remember? Oh, yeah. When <laughs> you try to order it. I anyways, did. no, we're talking about Ronald Paul Buka, who oh. was a firefighter uh, from New York. Ooh. He was there on 9-11, and uh, we'll get into his story as well. But uh, And then Todd Beamer, who mm-hmm. if you guys remember... We mentioned last week on the episode. Uh, he's the United Flight 93 hero that uh, was uh, heard on the phone or recorded on the phone saying, let's roll. One of the guys uh, involved with, from mm-hmm. what we understand, coming up with a, a plan to stop the hijackers from Flight 93. So, like I said, uh, all three of these men are heroes. Yeah. From no matter what they did, uh, mm-hmm. from the hijackers down to a fire marshal, you know, who climbed yeah. the woods. uh People, some people think uh, him and, and another uh, fellow firefighter were the ones to go to the highest floors, the seven oh eighth gosh. floor. I don't even know how long that would take them, but um, that that seems to be pretty incredible feat, if you yeah. ask me. So um, we'll get into that as well. Uh, all the way down to uh, Colonel Schmidt, right, mm-hmm. who was there on, at the Pentagon. And when, he can tell his own story. Yeah, so... Yeah, you'll hear his his interview and and tell uh, his story and what he went through on on 9-11. So uh, and then later on ended up being uh, the commander of Camp Buka, which I served in. So there's all these weird connections going on here as Mm -hmm. well. So um, why don't we get started? Let's start with uh, Paul. I mean, um, let's start with Todd. Todd. Todd Beamer. Right. So as I mentioned, he is uh, the individual. Mm-hmm. who uh, was part of the mm-hmm. United Flight 93 yes. hijacking of a hijacked airplane. Yeah. An airplane that had left from, I believe, Rochester? or yeah, Pennsylvania. New, or, no, no, oh. it was in New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it was, uh, I don't think it was Rochester. It was uh, New York. New York. New York. Mm. New York. How do you say? New York? New York. New York. New York. Newark, New mm-hmm. Jersey, headed to San Francisco International Airport. So all these flights, we all know, were were international flights, right? Yeah. From coast to coast, essentially. Yeah. Because had the most fuel. Oh. And that's why they were picked for that reason. I didn't know that. You did not know that? I did not know that. Are you that. literally just finding out? I am. Yeah, they picked, they, they specifically picked east coast to west coast flights because then they would have the most fuel get the fuck out of here oh wow i did not know that this is embarrassing well no i just put you on the spot no i just didn't (laughs) know that because well one those are not like all of the times i read about this i'm more of like gonna listen to the people's story not and then some people are gonna be the more tech like how did this happen? Yeah, there's no way to dig yourself out of this one, but that's all right. I think a lot of people don't know that. Well, they will now after they listen to this yes. episode. Make I it go four viral. More people will know. Well, I think those four probably are in you. So, anyways, um, so he was famously known for his last words. Yes. Let's roll. Those are the most badass words. Like, if I had to pick, like, if I was back in third grade and they said, pick a hero, this guy and that group of people are my heroes. I think that is so badass that they, you know, were in this situation. They probably knew they were going to die because they didn't know how to fly a plane and they knew that the pilot and the co pilot was out of commission but they knew they needed to get in that door because they had already heard about what had happened in new york at the pentagon so they knew that they were on their way to do serious damage and i really think that they are a great example of you taking back like don't be a victim take it back um save yourself or save others because the interesting part is that they were going to get shot down like the order had been 
we have a rogue plane. It's not coming, you know, it's not responding. It's headed to either the White House or the Capitol. So they had been, the orders were given to be shot down. So at that moment, these people were going to die. But I love how they died on their terms. And they, you know, rather than being shot down, and it would have been tragic, and they would have been victims, and we would have mourned them. But they took their own, you know, that last 30 minutes of their life. They took that power back. And if I was going to get a sentence tattooed on my body, I think it would be let's roll. Let's roll. Because that is... I mean, that's what they tell women. Like, if you're in a situation where, like, someone's holding a gun to your head and they're like, get in the car, be like, fuck you, shoot me. Because I know if I get in that car, something's going to happen. Yeah. So shoot me, then shoot me. Like, and that's how we have to, like, kind of get into that mode that it's like. Well, get out of that victim mentality, even though that at that time. They didn't know. Yeah. I mean, you truly are. Being a victim, yeah, you're going to be a victim. So, someone, someone's uh, attempting to kidnap you, rape you, murder yeah. you, mutilate you, whatever the case might be, but not having the victim mentality even at the time, almost turning into a beast yourself. Yeah, like turning beast into mode, into yeah that that's what you know. Seriously, like I've never would never uh, you know kill someone with my my bare hands unless they were doing something to my child yeah. unless my life was at stake or, yeah. or anything like that right uh or the cruelest things when mm-hmm. we talked about the torture episode yes remember? which i couldn't participate everybody much pretty much uh even i mean that one we did get the most um um what do you call it um feedback, me- or... feedback messages on, mm-hmm. on 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 facebook i even posted all the different messages yeah. we got from people and and uh, responses on social media. I mean that that was by far the most. Yeah. And and I, I know I, I joke around about people mailing us or emailing us stuff like that, but this one really, and nobody yeah. could wait to tell us exactly what they would do. It's like almost like this. I tapped into someone's hidden yes. desires. Yes. And uh, and and most of them were if it was involving my family. Yeah. If if they were in danger, I, I would pull out. All the stops. Yes. Murder, just decapitation, you name it. Yeah. Right? Like the things that none of us ever even dream of in our nightmares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these people were willing to do it. On a drop of a dime, too, is like yeah. within like a weekend, I had all these. All this stuff. <laughs> and comments. I can barely and even talk about it. This becomes it that, right? So... This becomes that. Oh, it's like yeah. this. It, I, I know I'm, I'm uh, I don't know if you guys are going to understand what I'm saying here, but since I was young, I always thought like this, this is how I really think i'm kind of crazy okay I'm scared so i thought about this if it wasn't for pain how hard is my hand how how hard are my bones is it as hard as a hammer can i do the things that a hammer can do with my bone if it wasn't for pain do you see what i'm saying mm, yeah so how can i use my body as a weapon mm-hmm. if it wasn't for pain okay how far will you go like your your arm you can just swing it around and start hitting th- things and you can you can break you can break things down you can break doors down you can break walls down you can do all kinds of crazy stuff with your arm and your legs and things like that right if pain wasn't involved yeah the thing that stops you from bashing your face through that wall through that door is the fact that you know it's painful and you could possibly break something that could be even more painful but if you didn't feel that pain what could you do with your body and I think that that's what happens in those moments mm-hmm. when you are faced with mortality. Yeah, is that you use your body? Oh yeah. However, that's why you hear stories of of oh, these old yeah. stories of women lifting up a car just for an instant to get their yeah. child out of there. Yeah. Uh, you know, someone you know uh, running faster than you've ever seen them before to push someone out of the way, yeah. like their instincts. So all of a sudden, they're like that. I've never seen that Mario before. He, he can barely get out of a hammock. <laughs> he, Crystal struggles just getting out of bed in the morning. You know, all of a sudden, you know, her son was in danger and she was freaking the flash. Yes. You know, like those things. And that I think like if you control your mind enough, your mm-hmm. your head, you can stop the pain for a second. So these people on this flight, which you're right, let's let's make sure that people understand what we're saying is that I think everybody on this flight was a hero. Yeah. 
the from the the flight stewardess to the the all the individuals that planned it and even the other folks that kind of were covering for them and uh the ones that kind of you know I, i'm sure there were people that were scared and couldn't do anything i mean all those people are heroes because they 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 were the ones there yeah simple plain mm-hmm. and simple they were the ones there and the there's always going to be people there's always going to be the the protectors yeah right and yeah. so those other folks as long as they recognize that and they let the protectors do the protecting mm-hmm. then you're all good you're all yeah. you're all heroes in my book because you all died for a cause bigger than yourselves mm-hmm. that's that's what i say or that's my my way of describing a hero right yeah. todd stands out because we have that lengthy interview with him yeah. that the transcripts have come out and we've yeah. well i don't know if everyone's read them but I, you know i know i've read them and it's it's sad, right? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. But just to hear what just the the thing that he had just this mindset of like to hear someone's thought process when it was like let's roll, you know, like that's so powerful. And it's just like that could have been like the last thing that happened in this country that wasn't political politicalized. Like I feel like. That was our last hero. I can't think of a time now when you have a hero. There is this tendency to tear them apart or find out what they said 10 years ago. And that was our last. I kind of feel like that was the last time. I mean, that we had a hero, that all of these people were heroes. And... um, and there, there was no question. Like, there's no one saying, ah, maybe you shouldn't have done that. So I, it's just like when I think of him and all of those people, it just takes me back in time, like, to this, this very. Yeah. Once they, once they knew, because mm-hmm. it, it is true that you're like, they always tell you to, especially when dealing with terrorists, if you get captured, at least that's what they briefed us. Mm-hmm. Show them that you're vulnerable. Show them that you have a family, mm-hmm. even if it's a, a different religion than theirs. Mm-hmm. Show them you're religious. If you mm-hmm. have a cross, carry a cross with you, things like that. And I don't know if this is antiquated or if it's older or there's new, new, new um, uh, updated information mm-hmm. on how to deal with being kidnapped, especially mm-hmm. dealing with, with terrorists, because they've changed a little bit from 20 years ago, yeah. although I think their message is still the same, pretty much hate. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the way we were taught with dealing with with them obviously this is the last resort where you're captured you don't have anything to fight back with and now your ultimate goal is to get back to get away from them Mm -hmm. right and and to survive and Mm -hmm. to survive your goal now has has and for those of you if you don't understand this i'm not saying you're giving up okay Mm -hmm. the military's never told it in fact they always tell you you it is your right and you have to yeah under the military uniform of conduct Mm -hmm. you should fight back but there's a way to fight back smart. Yeah. And, and the first task is to survive. Yes. And then to always find a way to try to escape and never and give keep, up, uh, keep, keep uh, keep, trying, give as keep little trying. information to the enemy. So when I'm saying this, I'm not telling you to give up and the military doesn't tell us to give up. But if that means surviving, then you do whatever it takes. And so identifying like they identify a human yes. rather than a, than a soldier or a or, or an animal. Right. Because yeah. a lot of times we think of them as animals of the things they do to to women and young mm-hmm. children and 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 it really is yeah but this is not in in a time of combat especially if you've never held a gun to anybody else's head or a mm-hmm. knife to somebody and you're about to kill them you realize it's not as simple and as easy yeah as you might think i don't care who your enemies are yeah. i don't care what they've done when you're faced with that situation it's not that easy and if you can make it harder for them yeah then do it, do yeah. it right and so um so, yeah, it's um, I don't even know what got us down this road. I'm um, just but. like that. They these guys were. Oh, just well, yeah. So, my, yes, I know now I, uh, my point I was trying to get at mm-hmm. is that it, with that mentality, mm-hmm. the other flights may have done that at first because they had no idea. They've never seen this yeah. happen. And the only thing we knew of when airplanes were hijacked is that yes. obey them, they'll land, they'll get their money because yes. that's probably what and then you'll be let go or you might even be taken yeah. to to the Middle East and you might you might even be a POW for a few months, yeah. but you got to survive. 
right? Yeah. So don't attempt to to blow up the plane. Don't do any of this. But they didn't know what the mission was, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the difference. That's, that's the, the difference. difference. And then these guys had gotten that yeah. intel. The other people were dealing with the odds. The odds yeah. tells you to survive. Don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything rational, and you'll survive. That's. But now, I, I'd like to I'd like to go to an anti terrorism class and see what the new information is. Yeah. On what's 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 the updated information from from our sources, right? Mm-hmm. What I mean, this stuff should be made public. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's secrets out there. The CIA, FBI, obviously don't want everybody to know about techniques and things that we're doing that the enemies are doing. But if 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 there's classes out there on, mm-hmm. hey, how should you react on on a uh, in 2021? Yeah. Versus in 2001. Yeah. Right? Is it is it a different world now where you're like, no matter what happens. The odds have changed now. The odds yeah. are that they're going to hijack your airplane and crash it and use it to blow up another building or something yeah. else or blow you guys up as a, as a point. So now the, the, the only option yeah. you have is to always fight. That's why right? I do not get mad when you see, like, I, fl- I traveled all through COVID. I traveled on planes the whole time because my sister was sick. I had to get out to her. So I went when there was five people on the plane because no one was flying, and I, I slowly saw it build up, and I also slowly saw it getting very, it's a very negative experience. Um, we went, had a great, like a year ago, almost a year ago, we had the best experience. Um, the captain had Easton come up front. It was very, yeah. very positive. Since then, it's gotten very negative, um, and you can just see that people are fighting about masks, these attendants, they don't know how to do it, and it's gotten very violent. I mean, there are f- more fights than ever on these flights, and I do not care. When we are not on a plane, I do not care if you wear a mask. I do not care if you're not vaccinated. But you get on that plane, you need to act right. I don't care. I don't care if you're uncomfortable. I do not care. Sit down and follow directions from from the flight attendants because they're just trying to get us from what point one yeah it's too late at that point yes. to try to prove your political your, point yes just let it go it's not going to happen at that moment right? yeah and, and then they started like tying passengers up well the and one guy that went rogue and started rogue, beating up the a couple flight of them attendants had to like tie them down because they are getting wild and i'm like I do not care. You want my shoelace? Here's yeah. my shoelace. Tie them down because it's so dangerous. Yeah, when you're talking about don't impede on my freedom by forcing people to wear masks and 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 shoot me in the arms, well, that's that's all fine and all because I believe mm-hmm. that I believe in I've gotten the shot, but I believe in people's freedom to yeah. choose. Yeah, I don't and care. Um, and so I feel like if you if you are one person that feels that everyone should get get shots you probably also believe in, in not allowing women to choose abortion. <laughs> it has to be, right? No. Because, no, no, you, no. You don't. The, so the people that, 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 yeah. that, that, no, 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 listen to me. I don't think yeah. you're So the people that, that want you to get a shot, that want everybody to get a shot uh-huh. because they don't care about your body. They don't care about the what decisions yeah. you make for your body. They're also the ones telling you what to do with, with abortions. They're the ones telling you, no, no, it's, uh, it's you, a, to, uh, well, why I not? Think it's, I know it, it's, it's so crazy. But do you understand what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. That would make sense, but it doesn't. I know make it sense. doesn't make sense. That's, I was that's like, why I bring it up. I know it. it is. You're right. I mean, that that's is why the I said, craziest so it, so thing. You're, so you're telling me that if you want people, but here's the thing. I know a few people like that, specifically if they're Christian, because, um, you know, Christians, for the majority, they don't believe in abortion, mm-hmm. right? But in essence, because they don't believe in abortion, they're essentially telling a woman what she can and cannot do with her body. Yes. Right? And so some of those are the same that believe everybody should get a vaccine. So I'm just telling you from examples. I have true examples yeah. of people that are like that. So and so in essence, what what we're seeing is that those people don't care about other people's choices for their own bodies yeah they want you to not get an uh, 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 an abortion because it's wrong in their religion mm-hmm. that means that they're telling you what to do with your body mm-hmm. then they're also wanting you to get that shot and wear the mask mm-hmm. so they're also telling you what to do with your body get that shot 
Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sense. make sense because they don't, a lot of those people don't believe those two things or believe the they're, opposite. They're opposite. They yeah. believe the opposite. Like but you... by believing in those two things, mm-hmm. you're essentially telling people what to do with their bodies. One of them's telling them what not to do with their body. Yes. Don't, you can't get an abortion. The other one's saying you need to get a shot. Do you see? Yeah. The it's irony. The irony. It's, and they're both crazy and but and but but the other point the other point is that you don't know who's who anymore yeah people who are left-wing right-wing people who are christian non-christian non-believers whatever they believe all sides yeah there's there's hypocrites and then there's not hypocrites so what i'm saying Mm -hmm. is matches with my beliefs yeah i believe women should have Mm -hmm. the right to choose Mm -hmm. an abortion now i don't believe you should I, I believe there's a time yeah. frame, right, where you don't want to kill a fully developed baby. Yes. Um, that's neither here nor there, but yeah. but but I believe that there should be an option. Yeah. For women. Yes. Right. At and, the begin- yes. and I also believe there should be an option for people mm-hmm. because the science isn't there to back it up. And now we're going yeah. to a whole new world, right? But it is what point zero three percent death rate versus the measles, the, yeah. the some of these other harsher diseases where they're up to twenty, thirty percent mortality rate. So my point is that if we don't have the science yet that proves that this vaccine works a hundred percent, and we're also not too worried about the death rate because it's not as high as some of these other things that are out there then why should we force people to take these shots? That's all I'm saying. So yeah. I'm 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 kind of on the same page yeah. on both of those. I like believe you're your right free. to choose. Yeah. So your, like when it comes your to your body, body right? Yeah. To a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm. If this ha- if this disease had a mortality rate of 30, I'd be like give me whatever retard shot you got cuz it's better than than dying, right? But the mortality rate's got to be there, the science has to be there, the evidence has to be there. So far, I don't think it's there. So that's just my my thought. But we went off topic, man. We again, did. We're supposed to be talking about these heroes. So Todd Beamer and the rest of the, the Flight 93 uh, crew that took those terrorists down. Let's roll. Let's roll. We will have a beer and a drink uh, someday when we meet on the mm-hmm. other side of the road. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Captain Ronald Paul Buka. You're going to give me a lot of information about him because I know you've told me a lot about him, but I did not research him. And I'm very excited on just the little bit that you've shared with me. So Camp Buka was the place I was stationed when I first went to Iraq in 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I knew that it was named after a firefighter mm-hmm. from New York that, that had died on 9-11. That's as much as I knew, right? I, I didn't do... The obviously being out there, internet wasn't uh, a, yeah. an option, a real option, unless yeah. I want to just waste two hours uh, looking at five <laughs> minutes worth of content, right? Because it yes. was so bad, so so horrible that I, I never really emailed anyone. I I phone I used phone calls and I still wrote letters. Yeah, that was the best Aww, way of communication. Yeah. and uh, so so researching people and all that was out of the question, right? Even when I first got back. All I wanted to do was just get back into the, the, the civilian world and, and do my thing. And uh, but I wish the reason I say that is because I wish I would have known more about him back in the day when I actually served under that camp. Um, and so now and I did some research later on, actually, in 2009, when we were at stationed at Fort Dix getting ready. I know it sounds funny, but actually, I think it was like, what, 2008, 2009? Yeah. When we were at Dix for training. Yeah. In Jersey, um, in one of the malls. 2008. When, 2008 when we were out hanging hanging out or i don't know we had like a a a day off or something i went to one of the the malls on base px i guess and somebody was selling these shirts uh with the new york um what do you call it oh because it was september it was around september because we we got to iraq in october close to halloween so it was september and i'm sure it was some type of uh anniversary was it like the seventh sixth anniversary at that point in 2008 so seventh anniversary Anyway, somebody was selling shirts that said Captain Buka on it. And it had the, the two towers and it had his face on the front and it had the dates uh, when he was born and, you know, when he passed away and everything. And that's when I found out more about him. And it turns out the more I read, the more I dig that Aww. he was a bigger badass than I even intended uh, or that I even thought of from the beginning. So the more and more I learned about him. So first of all, he is thought to be the first uh, fire marshal 
in New York's history to die in, uh, I guess you could call combat, right? Yeah. Fire combat uh, yeah. in the middle of a firefight or I mean, nice. I shouldn't say firefight. That's more shooting, but uh, uh, a major fire. Yes. Right? No marshal in New York uh, de- uh, fire department history had ever died mm. putting out a fire. The other fact that I found out about him, obviously he was in great shape. He was an avid runner. Mm-hmm. He was a marathoner. Uh, him and another, um, was it another fire chief, I believe? Let me see. Let me read this. I, I make sure I get it right. Uh, along with, so him and Chief Oreo Palmer, who were avid um, runners, both are believed to have made it to the 78th floor of the South Tower. I don't know how long that took, but they are also believed to have made it the highest out of anybody. Oh my gosh. So we're talking about a man and and, and two men mm-hmm. that that possibly made it the highest out of any other firefighter wow. in that time. And then you got to remember, 78 floors. Then the real work begins. <laughs> then the real work begins. Then the hooking up. the dead. I don't know what they have to do at that point because I don't know if the, the, the uh, is the hose long enough. Obviously not. I think they probably have stations along the way, I'm sure, oh, yeah, that you hook up to maybe. on the different floors mm-hmm. and they hook, they tap into the water, I'm sure. So that means they're carrying hoses. They're carrying Damn. axes. They're probably carrying their picks. They're carrying probably a full load. And a full load because load then they with have the their, mass. Their, yeah, they wouldn't have made it. Just their outfit yeah. is heavy. You're talking at least 100 pounds of gear each. Imagine yeah. that. And then the fight begins. The oh. real fight against that fire begins. Who knows? And who knows who? how many people they saved along the way because just from... They were sending they're, them they're sending them up there and they were helping oh. people go down and maybe the motivation of, of seeing them oh, okay. and people are helping yeah, each other. Like you and get motivated. You so, oh, I mean, coming. that's what I'm saying. Heroes come in many shapes, sizes, mm-hmm. uh, different uh, legacies. And um, it, this is no different. So um, he was a 22-year uh, veteran of the oh. fire department. He was also, uh, prior to this, uh, he was a Vietnam vet. He was in a special forces group. Damn. He, when he first joined the fire department, he was injured. He actually started as a uh, volunteer fire or reserve, sorry, reservist in the fire department. And then uh, he got out of the military Mm -hmm. uh, and he went, I think he went reserves Mm -hmm. and something that happened to him when he was uh, starting off as a firefighter, an injury prevented him from being airborne anymore. Okay. which meant he had to leave his unit. So oh. he, he left the military yeah. due to a, a, an injury he got in the fire department. But then he climbed the ranks there too oh. and became uh, uh, a fire marshal. So he was uh, one of the people that actually investigated the bombings of the oh. towers in 93, wow. I believe. Yeah. Uh, so after that, he was put on a committee uh, in New York with the involving the FBI, uh, other wow. other uh, federal agencies and the fire department and him being one of those on a terrorist um, com- some some type yeah. of terrorist committee uh, oh, so that wow. they would all share information. So he was a representative of the fire department. Uh, they had police department there. They had federal agents, like I said, mm-hmm. uh, FBI, CIA. So there was a task force and he was part of that until 2000 when um, they disbanded the task force. Jesus. <laughs> and then obviously in 2001, he makes it, him along with another chief, make it to the 70th floor, which some believe to be the highest anyone made it to uh, before the tower collapsed. And that was the, uh, that was it for, for him there. But uh, in 2003, uh, military police uh, didn't say which unit it was. But uh, I, there were a lot of military police mm-hmm. units that went through Camp Buka because they turned it into a prison. Oh, yeah. And so when the Abu Ghraib stuff happened, oh, yeah. um, a lot of the and uh, I'll, I'll say more towards the end mm-hmm. about Abu Ghraib because uh, we're not done up. with that. It's coming up. He, um, anyways, when that happened up there, they were slowly trying to transition some of those prisoners from up there down to us mm-hmm. in Camp Buka. Uh, and we happened to be there right around the time when right after, literally a few months after the big scandal where the pictures came out and yeah. all the craziness. Um, and so because of that, the way we even looked had to change. So if you were in towers, you were able to just have a shirt on with your vest and everything else, mm-hmm. not your shirt or your blouse, as we yeah. call it. 
uh, because those 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 images of a soldier in a in a in a t-shirt yeah reminded the world of of the pictures of uh, of Abu uh, Ghraib. Uh, or as some would call Abu Ghraib. I don't know if it's Abu Ghraib or Abu Ghraib. It's kind of like saying Prescott, Prescott. Oh, yeah. It's Abu Ghraib or Abu Ghraib, whatever. Oh, yeah. Anyways, because that depicted that image, we had to wear our freaking blouses. All the time. Not that it mattered. And when it's 120, it's fucking 120. It, yeah. There's nothing uh, that's that vest, uh, it, unless you take off the vest, it, yeah. that's not, it's not. Um, I mean, I, I I know there there's there's ways to to cool down with the with the your shirt on and everything like that. So, but still, it was the point that we were all like, "That's stupid." Yeah. Like, like is it, are we at these, war or are we in a public affairs war? Yeah. What is this? Come on. And and I get it. It's both. We it's know. Both, we all yeah. know now. We all know now that if you go to war, you're you're gonna have it's yeah. your all eyes are on you. Yeah. So let's not forget that anymore. And That's, people are looking to yeah. call you out. So, anyways. A, uh, in 2003, military police named uh, the principal detainee holding camp in Iraq, Camp Buka, and then I got there in 2004. Uh, like I said, I, I knew that it was named after a fallen firefighter from, from New York uh, that I may or may not have known that he was a veteran, too. I think mm-hmm. I knew that part, too, but that's as much as I knew then yeah. when I was there. Uh, but I found out later on, as I said, in 2008, uh, found out a little bit more and then Aww. just keep finding out more and more. And then now today, today I found out how far he had made it up the the, the, the South Tower. I didn't know that until today. But um, so anyways, uh, he is also memorialized, memorialized mm-hmm. <laughs> in um, uh, where is this on the South Pool on panel S14 mm-hmm. of the actual 911 memorial. Uh, and then the DIA also honors Buka each year through an annual award named after him. Oh. So he also worked for the DIA, by the way. Yeah. Between his service in Vietnam uh, and and being a firefighter, he worked for the DIA also. So I mean, he's he he was clearly you know um, he he loved serving. Uh, he loved being in the military, uh, f- government agencies. He just he was a badass. Yeah. Clearly, and then that the fact that he ended up with the fire department after kind of having these 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 lucrative positions, yeah. if you will, of special forces, Vietnam veteran, the DIA. I mean, like he, an all around badass. All around badass, and then he's like, I'm gonna stay. And even after he got injured enough to where he couldn't be a paratrooper anymore, mm-hmm. but still, at his age, because he wasn't a young chicken anymore yeah still made it up 78 floors on 9-11 with all that gear so um <laughs> again cheers to to another hero camp um camp captain ronald paul buka so thank you for sharing that is a cool story yeah and then we'll finish it off with uh, the actual interview so i have a full interview that actually went on for almost two hours Mm-hmm. An hour and 40 minutes specifically for the whole interview with Captain, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, a Colonel, uh, Austin Big Bird Schmidt, as mm-hmm. we call him, Big Bird, because he's tall and awkward. And so um, that's his nickname. His his story is, uh, it's from 9-11 as well. It's him escaping the Pentagon mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the other folks that were around him, his 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 boss. Uh, and some of the effects that it kind of still has on him today physically. Mm-hmm. And, but Colonel Schmidt was also a special, special forces commander, man, I got to enunciate today. He was a special forces, um, uh, commander as well. And, um, he was the commander of Buka when I was there in 2004, 2005. Uh, I believe he was a the commander there for, I think two, maybe three years. I forget, but um, he'll, he mentions it in the full interview. If you want to hear the full interview, you can go back through, through our, our um, podcast and, and check that out. It was from season two from last year. Uh, but today we're just going to cut out uh, about a 14 minute snippet of his story from 9-11 uh, escaping the Pentagon after it got hit. So here you go. So given that this is September, uh, and I know one of the things we talked about before uh, coming on the the podcast was your experience on September 11th. Um, you yeah. were at the Pentagon when on, on, I was. on that day. So do you can you explain a little bit more on on your the events that happened to you? Oh yeah, just like it was yesterday. Believe me. Yep, uh, it, it was it was a day like any other uh, until about 9:38. Um, uh, and, uh, what ha- I was in army war plans at the time 
and uh, our our uh, deputy chief was in charge because our chief was was out of town doing something. I'm sure very important, like playing golf or whatever. <laughs> but you know, colonels yeah. do that. Uh, I hear. But uh, Colonel Sylvia Moran was our boss then in war plans, and uh, the the chief's office had a TV in it, and, and Colonel Moran liked to go watch the news in the morning and see what was going on. So she was in there watching the news when they announced this stuff about the twin towers getting hit. And, and uh, she had watched the airplane go in and hit the first tower. And then she came out and said, Hey, everybody in the office, come in here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so he said, okay, boss said, call. So get in there. So we all went in and watched. And by that time, the second plane was hitting the tower. And uh, I think that was the fl- the L.A. flight from uh, Boston was the second uh, plane to go in. And my kid brother was supposed to have been on that plane because uh, he, he was the commanding officer of a unit up at uh, 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 an Army unit up at uh, Hanscom Air Force Base uh, working with Raytheon on uh, new new missiles and stuff like that. And my kid brother was supposed to be on that airplane going to L.A. for a uh, conference out there, but his commanding general held him back, so he missed the flight, thank God. And um, so anyway, we watched the second flight hit the towers, and uh, and uh, I went back, and then, then Colonel Moran looked at us and said, all right, look, this is obviously not a coincidence, so do we have a plan for this sort of incident happening in the United States of America. And uh, we were Army war plans, so we said, by golly, we better check our safe. So we went back, sat down at our desk, and started to pull up uh, our, our, uh, our, our list of, of war plans and, and reaction plans and operations plans to see what we had that might, come, might cover something like this. And um, I, I had just had time to call my wife uh, and uh, say, hey, honey, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're checking stuff out here based on what was going on. Cause, uh, you know, I knew she was watching the TV too. So, and, uh, and, uh, she so went back to work and then, uh, we got hit. And, and what I assumed was based on, on the position of, of my, uh, office and down this corridor, there was a helicopter pad, which everybody's seen in, in the movies about the uh, the strike on the Pentagon. Everybody's seen the chopper pad and the little squat tower out there, which used to control the helicopter landings, comings and goings in the Pentagon. Well, I assumed after after I recovered myself that uh, a chopper had pancaked in on at the end of the corridor, and that's what knocked us all down because so I got knocked out of my chair. You didn't think it was an airplane? No, no, no. We had no idea what it was, because, um, like I say, we we'd watched the second plane going, and we got we got to work looking up to see if there's a plan to cover this right. this incident in New York. We the, the farthest thing from our minds, I think, was was oh shit, we may be a target right. too. And and you know, at right then and there, the, you know, the guys down in the basement of the Pentagon, they were listening to all this air traffic and crap like that because that's their job in the Army Operations Center and the Air Force Operations Center and the Navy Operations Center, you know, they were they were monitoring this sort of stuff, the intel and junk. But we're up here in Army War Plans, and we don't have comms with anybody except the telephone. So we weren't even considering that we could be a target. And um, so I, I just, I, you know, we got hit. I got knocked out of my chair. And I, I may have been unconscious for a mini-second there because it was a little fuzzy, but okay, blam, something happened. And the uh, the alarm system went off and said, "Oh my God, we got a problem here in the Pentagon." And he said, "Okay, we know that." And um, I sat my chair back up, sat down in it. I just had time to call my wife and uh, say, "Honey, we've been hit." And then the phone lines burned through. And so, uh, you know, this it wasn't just the folks in the Pentagon who are dealing with this situation. You got to think about the families at home who are watching the TV or whose husband just called the wife and said, Hey honey, we've been hit. And then all of a sudden comms are yeah. dead. Lights go, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean that, that she, she had a, a not good day. Um, because uh, cell phones didn't work. They shut that down immediately because the Intel guys had figured out that the bad guys were using cell phones to communicate. And, uh, so all of a sudden everybody's cell phone went dead and, uh, mine included, 
So our phone lines were burned through in the Pentagon, so we had no communications. But uh, Colonel Moran said, all right, all right, let's go through the drill. We know what we're supposed to do when we evacuate. And because uh, the uh, loudspeaker system was telling us to evacuate, there is a fire in the building. Evacuate. And I said, okay, wow. And, but it was interesting. I noticed that the sprinkler system didn't go off. So I said, hmm, okay, if we have a fire in the place, why isn't the sprinkler system going off? Well, the sprinkler system wasn't going off because the airplane had, uh, had burst the, uh, the water pipes. So the oh, sprinkler man. system wasn't going to work because right. all the water was draining into the basement. So, you know, we went through our normal, I mean, whatever normal is, our drill, we, and, and the office was very disciplined. We recognized the fact that windows are dangerous places, and one of our armored windows had been cracked. And thank God we were in the part of the Pentagon, which had just been refurbished. So we had the Kevlar wrapped around the supports. We had the armored windows and all that sort of stuff. It was very nice before the airplane hit. And um, that's what kept that part of the building from collapsing entirely because we had just been reinforced with the new part of it. So we, we went through our drill. You know, we were, we were kind of duck walking around the place so we didn't get hit by flying glass. And there wasn't any, thank God, because the windows were, were solid, but they, they did give way. Um, and uh, we took our classified bricks out of our computers and, and put them in our, our classified safes and locked them up. And, you know, there was absolutely no panic. It was just we were moving with a purpose, but we did what we were supposed to do. And uh, then Colonel Moran said, look, once you've finished what you're doing, we're going to evacuate because that's what the orders say, evacuate. So we, we all and, and our XO had, had run and, and uh, checked the fire escape door, and he touched it just like he's supposed to, and it was very, very hot because we were on the floor directly above where the airplane struck. So I was on the third, we were on the third floor, and, and the airplane hit the second floor and went through the G1 office. And a lot of my buds down the G1 office, who I'd served with for many years, including the, the command sergeant, the, the sergeant major of the uh, Army G1, Larry Strickland. He'd been killed because he'd been in the G1's office when the plane went right through that office. And uh, I'd served with him uh, years before in Germany and served with a whole bunch of the folks down there in the G1 office, and that, that really hurt because uh, they all went uh, out. And, uh, yuck, that was bad. But I didn't know that at the time. At the time, you know, we were, we were fighting our own little battle there on the third floor directly above it. So uh, we were told to evacuate, and, and by golly, we did. And as I'm going down the hallway there in the Pentagon, down the corridors, and then into the A ring to head for the emergency exit, um, I looked around. And I said, hey, there's some people who should be in this little blob I'm in who are not here. So I, I played salmon swimming upstream and went back against the, the, uh, the, the throng who were trying to get out of the building. And once again, there was no panic. I didn't see anybody screaming or shouting or running around with their hair on fire or any of that shit. Uh, everybody was very orderly and, and they were moving with a purpose and to get out of the building. So, but I went back in to look and see if, if uh, maybe one of my buds and my coworkers uh, hadn't uh, tripped and fallen or, or got locked in an office or some shit like that. And uh, got back in there and the, the chief of uh, strategy plans and policy was just locked, locking the cipher door on our section. That was one of my Citadel classmates. He was uh, Colonel Jim Sykes, who has since passed away, unfortunately. But uh, so I went back in, and, and Jim was locking the door and looked up the hallway, and uh, Brigadier General Carl Eikenberry and uh, Major General Bob Woods, uh, and Carl was my West Point classmate, and Bob Woods had been a year behind me in high school, so I knew both these guys. They're coming down the corridor checking offices. And you know, this was the brigadier general and the major general. And they were they were coming down the hallway, making sure that all the offices were cleared out and uh, and nobody was left behind. And you know, talk about leadership. These two guys were great. I love them to pieces. And uh, so I ducked down the corridor to check on the offices down there, and the floor opened up, and I made the mistake of breathing in in surprise, and that burned my throat and uh, got damage to my lungs. And I recognized the fact that uh, I was getting uh, debilitated in this situation and I shouldn't be here anymore unless I wanted to uh, join Larry Strickland. 
and uh, on his way to Valhalla. So uh, I bailed out then. I said, I, I'm, I'm becoming combat ineffective. So I, I used some common sense. And uh, everything was real quiet in the hallways by then because everybody else had bailed out on our floor anyway. And uh, so I, I went out and made my exit and got out in the parking lot. And uh, Colonel Moran was standing out there in our, in our designated uh, uh, assembly area uh, with, uh, with the team. And uh, she said, uh, she looked around and she said, I have been waiting for you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as I'm putting out the fires. And I said, Roger, Roger, gotcha, gotcha. But, uh, you know, because it didn't take me long to get hurt. So because uh, things were really bad on the second floor, which we didn't know at all. We, we, we had no idea what was going on down there. But uh, she looked around and she said, all right, look here. Uh, they did the one-two on the towers in, in, in uh, New York and said, we've been hit once, and this is standard. And, and Sylvia was, a, was an MI officer. She was, like I say, crackerjack. She was great. And she said, this is standard terrorist procedure. You hit think, something once, you get everybody to stand around wondering what's going on, then you hit them again. Right. She said, I think there's, there's something else coming in. And uh, we're standing in a parking lot full of uh, internal combustion engine-powered cars, which are full of, you know, with gas tanks full. So she said, all right, y'all are dismissed until I call you and tell you what we're going to do. So you're on your own. (laughs) (laughs) And we said, roger that, Colonel. So we all dispersed to work our own ways to uh, wherever we were going to go. And uh, I, I walked into Alexandria to my folks' house. And uh, stayed there. You know, I, I I found a telephone which was working, which was amazing. And I called my wife to let her know I was out of the building and on the way to my folks' house in Alexandria. And uh, so I walked into Alexandria because I was walking faster than any car was moving. And and US one was uh, down in Alexandria from the Pentagon. All all lanes were going south. Everybody was on on acid the area, but but I I was walking and I was doing better than the cars. So I said, eh, okay, I'm doing the right thing, and I was running on pure adrenaline. It was just you know there there was I was just hyped, and uh, like I say, walking to Alexandria, reported to my folks, uh, sat down, had something to drink, and uh, the old man took me home to Fairfax, my house in Fairfax, about 8 p.m. that night, and I checked with my wife and let her know I was there and um safe and uh when i got home about eight o'clock that night you know after traffic had died down and stuff sat down in the chair and said is my feet hurt it, because the adrenaline was wearing off and i took off my shoes and they were burned through oh so, my uh, god they said wow no wonder my feet hurt yeah yeah so you had pretty much so, stayed uh, in your boots and your, your uniform the whole day just kind of yep 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 and uh and uh so two days later, I had a scheduled appointment to get. I had a broken ankle doing PT a couple of years ago, and uh, I had a scheduled uh, appointment at, at DeWitt Army Hospital for Belvoir to get my ankle reassessed. And um, I, I walked in there, and, and uh, I was coughing, and the, the nurse looked at me and said, "Okay." Uh, what you here for? And I tried to tell her I was here to get my ankle assessed, but she said, that's a nasty cough. And she said, get the doctor over here. The doctor looked down my throat and said, when did you stop smoking? And at the time, I, I didn't smoke and hadn't. Uh, and uh, I said, well, when I walked out of the Pentagon two days ago, <laughs> and the place, the emergency room went to battle stations. I'll tell you what, I was the only Pentagon survivor who showed up down there, and they'd been sitting around for two days waiting for a mass casualty event. Yeah. So... I got it all. They said, whoa, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got a Pentagon survivor here. Yeah. And um, they threw me in a wheelchair and threw me on a gurney and ran me in the emergency room. And I had everybody in the hospital down there poking and prodding me and looking down my throat and checking out my limbs and all that sort of stuff. And uh, the Red Cross lady came by and gave me a box of candy and a stuffed bear. <laughs> I mean, it was a zoo. So um, I got uh, officially, uh, you know, uh, recognized there as a as a pentagon wounded and uh over when the docs looked down my throat they said it's pretty ugly and i said yeah i agree and uh 
the surgeons looked at it and they, they said, you got too much damage for us to do anything about it yet. So they, uh, it took a year for the, my, uh, throat tissues to stabilize before they could cut out the dead stuff and debride it and, and uh, get my throat working again. So I, I slept, uh, sitting up for a year so that the stuff could drain instead of down into my lungs, it right. would drain down into my stomach and take care of that way. And they put me on antibiotics and all that sort of stuff too, but it was still, it was a bit of a booger. And to this day, I can't swallow properly because, uh, uh, the, uh, the damage to the back of my throat when they cut out the dead tissue, there wasn't enough tissue to rebuild a, uh, a, a decent uh, seal between my throat and my tongue. So that's another challenge I get to live with. And that's all just from that the, the smoke you inhaled during that, that period? Yeah, well, there was all kinds of stuff come up. You know, there was burning mm-hmm. bodies down there. There was burning jet fuel. Sure, there was yeah. burning airplane parts, you know, because that aluminum got superheated and it just it burned. You yes. Know? All right, so. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah, pretty crazy. That was intense. And he's 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 an awesome guy. If you yeah. go back, I, I really do. If you liked what he had to say, go back and listen to the full story. He has a pretty pretty incredible story, even from from uh, uh, not making it through um, uh, what do you call it the uh, the the military officer school, oh. uh, West Point. West Point. West Point. And said he ended up uh, at at another university, you know. Mm-hmm. But still, he said he was always the underdog, and you know he Aww. always just kind of fought through and uh, all the stuff he he he's he's gone through. So it was a really cool interview. That's why it yeah. went almost two hours. And it, I think he brings such a good point about like how he had to have like part of his throat removed, or yeah, because he wasn't it, hadn't recovered, and you know whether it, it was, was like burnt in there or stuck probably was, the stuff he was inhaling the yeah, plastics that from were burning the, from the 9-11 the so yeah. you you don't realize like that it's like just because you made it out it's like here's this one guy that had to have part of it cut out like other people probably had worse injuries yeah and we, we don't just, think about that we don't even know we think oh they survived they're good they, yeah, unless good. unless you lost the limb you're not injured but yeah, man but the 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 internal and also they had to jump right so out of a yeah. so anyways the it's um it gets pretty it gets pretty um mm-hmm. intense but uh yeah, yeah if you want to hear hear more uh, about him and um go check it out <laughs> the last year's it was uh in September as well so i don't know the actual uh the actual number from season 2 but it was early early on in September yeah. so go back to season 2 in September and you'll find my interview with Colonel Schmidt so this was really uplifting after how sad last week was this was really cool to look at some of the heroes yeah that's my that was my thing so i wanted to tell our story let it all out i know we 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 just wanted to oh we were bad we we, we needed to let it out yeah that's we all. were really affected and then with everything going on too yeah. and it's you know it's been a while and so then i so wanted this, this time nice. to be more Reflecting on the heroes that came yeah. out of Nyland, which, by the way, there's thousands. Yeah, this there's is thousands of heroes. This is just dot. we just yeah out we of all of them. We we just picked three you that kind of spoke. Yeah, to us and 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 most people, I believe, mm-hmm. and they're they're some of the most uh, they got the most limelight. I yeah. believe some of those and some of them are just personal to us. Yeah, but um, next week mm-hmm. we're gonna go a little bit dark because we're gonna do our dishonorable mention and dishonorable mention is going to be about abu grab i actually am very excited that one um it's it's one of those where i i i didn't do much research on it i knew what i knew i knew what the news had said i knew what people had said Mm -hmm. and the very very little research that i had done by that i meant i probably clicked on an article i saw on facebook (laughs) Uh, but the more research I did, um, it was pretty bad. And yeah. so once again, I think it goes to leadership. But then I could also pinpoint a certain individual mm-hmm. that was very toxic that made this happen. Now, I believe that that individual was able to thrive in this environment mm-hmm. because leadership wasn't paying attention to their people. Correct. So in the end, it's still somewhat leadership's fault. But this one guy. Was he takes the cake. He's the toxic. And he's I'm not going to I'm not going to say his name on this special episode today. Oh, his yeah. name does not deserve to be mentioned. Nope. So, but we will You're talk right. all the shit. All the shit next We're week. We'll spill some tea next week. On 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 Abu Ghraib and 
Bobble gray, bobble grab, bobble grapple. Bobble, <laughs> bobble, bobble. I feel like you when you're trying to say, uh, can't, uh, I mean, uh, Buka de Beppo. Abu Babu. Buka. Abu Babu. Buka. Anyways, all right. Enough of this. Okay. Let's get out of here. Let's go get tattoos. Let's go get drinks. I'm going to get a tattoo of like all the heroes from 9 11. Let's roll. Uh, you don't have enough the, skin. The towers. I mean, everything. You don't have, have enough Buka, skin. His, his, his face on my yeah. chest. Yeah. I'm all. just going to get one that says, let's roll. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going to put it. Put it on your neck. Oh. <laughs> put it over your forehead. You know what? Face put it over tag, your forehead. Yep. It's more accepted now. They're in now. So, plus, you're a white woman, so you can do whatever you want. Oh. For Crystal, let's roll. Reedy, I'm outside the wire wire. Catch you guys next time. Don't forget, save the pingolins. Yes.